This is Dan McCarthy, and you're listening to the Check-In Podcast. So I think we are inevitably going to get this barrage of pop culture coming at us over the next few years that centers on stories told in 2020 and 2021 during the COVID pandemic. I think the phrase is never let a good crisis go to waste, and Hollywood is certainly familiar with, with not letting a good crisis go to waste. I think we'll probably get some medical dramas about the virus's ascent and its attack on the world. I'm sure we'll get some family-centered movies about you know families adopting to see each other either never or seeing each other all the time. And we'll probably get a couple of romantic comedies, maybe something about trying to date during a pandemic or something about trying to maintain a relationship during the crisis. But one of the first pieces of pop culture about the pandemic that I've consumed and the first that actually stuck with me was this special on Netflix called Inside. Inside is the creation of a stand-up comedian called Bo Burnham, a millennial who was one of those first people to really get famous on the internet in the early 2000s doing these parody songs that, that just took off. I'm not really a huge stand-up comedy fan and watching the special, it's fairly obvious it's not really a stand-up comedy special. The way I would describe it is a meditation of on life during COVID and a meditation on loneliness. Through these parody songs and these monologues, which were all written and directed by him, by himself, at his house in L.A., he kind of makes you aware of the incredible amount of loneliness and the massive consolidation of life that happened over the past year. There's a lot of lightness to it, but it's also an hour of a heavy meditation about living your life, not only within four walls, but also living your life on the internet, which is something that so many people have been forced to do and so many people have made habits of over the past year because of COVID. It's concentrate on living your life stuck in one place, whether that's by your choice or by an act of God. I thoroughly enjoyed the hour or so, but I, I can definitely say that, that it, it horrified me. Um, the tension and, and this feeling that stuck with me after watching it made me want to live my life with more focus on what's away from the computer or away from the television or away from the iPhone screen. And I promised myself that I was going to make an effort to do just that, to try to put down my phone more and more and to be... Uh, a bit okay with with being bored every now and then and not not to be worried when the internet goes out or not to be worried when I misplace my phone somewhere in my apartment. It made me want to take some giant leaps into real life and to be a bit more ambitious and that's one of the main focuses of my discussion today. It's being comfortable with taking leaps of faith and whether that's a step out of your house or a giant leap out of your comfort zone. So many people in travel, particularly the ones who run their own agency or the ones who run their own businesses, they have taken those leaps of faith in their own lives. And while some have succeeded and, and a lot more have failed, it's just something that makes the industry so unique, this entrepreneurial spirit that drives this innovation and, and drives the industry forward each and every day. My guest today for this episode, Vanessa McGovern, attributes a lot of her success to being comfortable taking leaps of faith. I know so many of you know Vanessa, either from her work at Gifted Travel Network or at Cruise Planners or with ASTA, which we actually talk on about on this episode with ASTA's Legislative Day. But did you know that her first job in travel was at a youth counselor on a celebrity cruise's ship? Because I didn't, and it's something we do get into. It's a little longer of a conversation than some of the pre previous episodes, but one that I truly enjoyed, and one that I hope you will enjoy too. Um, a couple of housekeeping before I get to the conversation. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we'd love for you to subscribe and to like the video. If you're on another platform, we'd love and appreciate a short review or rating. 
all that helps us keep growing this community. And uh, that's something that I hope to do to, to keep connecting with you all. So without further ado, let's check in with Vanessa. Hi. Hi, Dan. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? I'm good. Everyone talks about being zoomed out now, and I think that's a real thing, but... It is. <laughs> I mean, it does feel a, more, a better connection to someone when you're talking to them when you can see their face. Definitely. Um, I was... Who was I having this conversation with? With somebody... Um, it was with... I think it was with Virtuoso earlier this week. They were asking our feedback on why like what was stopping advisors from potentially signing up for in-person virtual so travel week and a lot of the feedback generally was that everybody's really busy and they obviously don't want to you know after a year of not having income they don't they're worried to be away for a week and that's that one of the main reasons and I agree with that that's definitely the main reason and I my contribution to that conversation was and and on top of that for GTN members they've been talking to supplier partners probably a lot more often this year than yeah. they did before because of Zoom. Yeah, it's it's like it it felt like it it was just this outlet that it made it incredibly easy to be proactive with people and to be proactive yeah. with building those relationships, which is obviously a good thing. That's um, what this industry is all about. And for yeah. the frontline advisor, I can't speak to the other hosts, but for the GTN advisor, they the the connection remained, it, it deepened, it grew stronger, and there was actually a lot more visibility. Yeah, it didn't. It made it. It made it so easy. I mean, I remember a couple, like in the past couple of years, having appointments being pushed out. Like, oh, we're gonna see you at this conference. We're gonna see you at that right. conference. Let's just wait for that. But now it's just so easy, just to send a link um, and jump on a call. I know. Yeah. I think I did a phone call with somebody the other day, or we were deciding, and I was like, should I do old fashioned phone call, or are we doing? Are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Zoom? Yeah, exactly. Because I knew them and it was okay to just jump on a call, but the default is Zoom. Yeah, good for yeah. Zoom, I guess. I guess that good for good for Zoom. It's it's become yeah. a verb, which I know is uh is a big thing for a brand. Zooming. Yes. And so I saw you in person. Yeah. That was have, a whirlwind. That was my first business trip since uh, I can January maybe 2020 or February 2020. That was the first uh, time. Yeah, I took Amtrak down from New York and it was uh I really had a good time even though it was I was in and out, so I was just there for a day. But like just for the press conference. Exactly. And just be, just being able to put on a suit and travel was just like, it was so refreshing. It was like so incredibly refreshing. It was, and the press conference was great too. They think they pulled that together beautifully. Yeah. And it was a special venue too, the, the, pre the press club. It seemed, it seemed very, uh, I felt very lucky to be there. Me too. They, they extended the invite to a lot of people and um, it was just who could make it kind of thing. I, I was surprised there weren't more people. Like, I'm like, why wouldn't you go? Like, this is so cool. I'm like, to be there in person, yep. if we're already in DC, I'm like, that was like a no brainer. Obviously we're going to go in person. It, it, you could feel the, I want to say, I guess really the the emotion of it all. Like I I felt Jennifer Wilson Buttigieg during that press conference. I, I, I was getting choked up for her when she was talking about her personal story. Like the emotions, you could, you could really feel them through all four speakers. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that during this interview, but I do want to get a bit of your background for the listeners too, because I know yes. a lot of people are interested, and I know you've you've been a, you've been sort of a force around the travel industry for a while now. <laughs> but I was looking through your LinkedIn, and I and I saw you had like a different start than a lot of people, and I'm yeah. I was hoping you could you could tell me a little bit about how you got your start. I know you're originally from Canada, right? 
I am. I only recently became a U.S. citizen oh, in the pandemic yeah. on June 30th. Yeah. So um, oh, it'll be coming up on a year now. That's a pretty that's a pretty big life accomplishment, I guess you can call it. It, it was absolutely. I feel really proud. It was unfortunate that uh, I chose to apply for citizenship and then in the pandemic because it was a slightly anticlimactic because I had to go and do the whole thing on my own. But nevertheless, it was still special and meaning, meaningful. Of course, I, I'm not like renouncing my Canadian citizenship or anything. I still will continue to hold my Canadian passport. But I mean, I live here. I built my life here. My husband's American. My kids are American. I'm American. Yeah, I have dual citizenship too. So, but I'm not, you know, like, I don't think there was ever a question of renouncing one or the other. And so you live- dual with what, with where? I'm, uh, so my parents are uh, first generation, are from Ireland. So me and my sister, Ah. we're first generation. Yeah. At at one point I, I had, I mean, I don't think I was told why I was, we were, we pursued Irish citizenship, but at one point when I was a child, my parents pursued it for all of us and we were lucky enough yeah to that's helpful <laughs> yeah it is it is it's very helpful being able to sort of bypass those customs when you're flying into heathrow or you're flying into dublin airport or you something can go like work that. in the eu yeah exactly right? exactly yeah i studied over there for a while and i got to pay eu tuition which was significantly cheaper than where did you study i was in london at uh, university of goldsmiths so I did a year abroad in London as well, but I, well, not, sorry, let me rephrase that. I did a year abroad in England. I spent all my weekends in London, but I lived um, in East Sussex. Our, my Canadian university had a campus there. So I paid Canadian tuition, which was a beautiful thing. Um, and I spent a year there as well. So I, I loved my time in England. England seems like a great introduction for international living for a lot of people. Because yeah. we just spoke about Jennifer, and Jennifer mentioned that she spent some time over there right. too. I forget who else I was speaking to. Maybe Betsy, uh, who O'Rourke, and she mentioned it as well. It does seem like a great, a great country, and, a, and London in particular, a great city to sort of get that introduction to to life outside yes. of North America. Agreed. Are you from? You're from the Greater Toronto area, is that right? I am. Okay. Yes. So I grew up just outside of Toronto in a little suburb called Whitby. Uh, and my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. And my kids still swim in the same pool that I swam in whenever we go in the summers. Obviously I wasn't able to go uh, in 2020 and now again in 2021, but generally in non-pandemic years, I go with the kids for the whole summer. So I feel like I have the best of both worlds because I still enjoy Canada very a lot throughout the year and I live here. so. Yeah, that's where I grew up. I went to school in Kingston, Ontario. I did a four-year, my my undergrad, my four-year undergrad there. And then while I was completing my undergrad, I had a friend that had a friend that had worked on a cruise ship in the summers. And I was like, that's interesting. And my, my family had never cruised. I'd never been on a cruise. I didn't really understand it, but it just sounded really interesting. And I had just come back from my year abroad and I was craving like just more travel and more international. And I didn't really know what that meant. But then when somebody told me about working on board a cruise ship, it piqued my interest. And so it turned out that the the woman that recruited for cruise line positions, for onboard cruise lines, cruise line positions, she lived literally within walking distance of my parents' house. The woman that recruited for all of all, all over Canada. It was crazy the coincidence. So I reached out to her going into my fourth year and, you know, I had just run a summer camp as my summer job 
for international students. So I ran this camp. It was a private school that converted into a summer camp in the, in, uh, for students from like Mexico and um, Middle East and uh, Europe and kids would come and I would run this camp for three weeks on and then another batch of kids for another three weeks. So I, I had experience with children is the point. And so one of the positions with you was youth staff. So I was like, I, I ran a camp. I can, I can work with the kids on the, on the cruise lines. That that's something I can do. So they hired me. Celebrity cruise lines hired me as a seasonal youth staff on the horizon. Uh, and I stepped foot on there for their Christmas new year's cruise. Uh, and because that's when the you know peak of children come on. And so they tend to hire cruise lines will hire seasonal youth staff to help with that influx of families traveling. So that was my first entree into the industry. <laughs> was, wow, I, um, I had no idea. Yeah, that is such a that is a really cool story. How so? What was it? So you went from, I guess, living in Canada, but then I have always wanted to ask cruise staff this, and I think I've had in the past. But like, what is it like to live and work on a on a cruise ship? How long were you there for? I worked consecutively on board for two and a half years. I mean, oh, I wow. had maybe like a year, to, a year or two, like a week or two off for vacation, or sometimes I would have a month off and I would go home and then I would get another contract. I did that for two and a half years, but then for another seven years after that, I worked for the onboard company, for the onboard revenue company. I worked for the art auction company and I would travel around so I didn't work on the ships, but I managed the programs on the ships. And so okay. I would go, sometimes I would have to fill in and, you know, an auctioneer was leaving, but the new auctioneer couldn't, couldn't come in time. So I'd have to like quickly get on a plane and like fill in for like two weeks somewhere with no notice. This would happen often, or I would go and sail with the auctioneer and help them and train them. So I still very much was a part of that crew experience over those the next other seven years but for the first two i was like assigned a room i was living on board i had a crew number i had life drill duties <laughs> yeah i lived on board so how was i mean how was that like what was it just know, seems like a such a question it's, it's like where do you even go with that right i so, know but it seems like <laughs> such a commitment to make that i i i mean i love i've been on cruise ships i've been on sort of a bunch of inaugurals over the past since i've been mm -hmm. with tmr so i, I mean I, I i understand the experience but i do not understand the experience of crew members i mean what yeah. i mean what's i guess what was the best thing about be, maybe we should start there what was the best thing about being able to work on a cruise ship well for me the time of my life the phase of the life that i was in i highly recommend if you're going to work on cruise ships to do it in your early 20s when okay. you don't have you know financial you don't have a mortgage you don't have a car you don't have financial commitments and you can just you know literally travel all over the world and you work really hard as a crew member and there are there are never you never have a day off you have hours chunks of time sometimes within the day off like segments of the day but then when you do have that time off as a crew member and you've just been working like really hard and crazy hours all of a sudden you're in Athens or you're in Buenos Aires or you're in Cayman or you're in Juneau or you're just in this amazing place that you would ne never have been able to go to or I thought I would never have been able to go to when I was at that stage in my life and it was it was amazing and so it, the 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 slogan of the so cliche, but it's very true of the work hard, play hard. Yeah. That's the crew member. <laughs> 
what is the time. community what is the community like with crew members on board is it mm -hmm. is it a big sort of it does it feel like a college dorm or does it feel like it feels like strictly something completely different I think there's definitely elements of college dorm life yeah. for sure. I wouldn't say that that's the overall vibe. I think every cruise line's culture is different. Every cruise line, every, even within the ships, the culture can vary. But I think fundamentally it's a transient culture because people are constantly signing on and off for different positions and from different places of the world and at different points in their contract. So there's this unspoken camaraderie yeah. because you build rapport. Like there is this, there's like this running, I don't know if you want to call it a joke, but it's like this running thing, I guess, that you just know that if you're in a relationship on a cruise ship and you're it's like a week it's basically like six months on land. okay <laughs> everything is accelerated amplified when you're a crew member because things just happen really quickly and and it because it's very transient um you just learn to build rapport and be more vulnerable and just actually create deep relationships with people in very short amount short amounts of time and i'm actually some of the friendships and the relationships that I built while working on board, I still have. In fact, this summer, I'm staying with friends that also met on board cruise ships that I worked with at my Park West days, uh, still when I was on board. They live out in Colorado, and I'm going to be staying. My kids and I, and my husband and I and kids are going to go out there for the summer uh, for two weeks in July. And that's from my cruise ship days. I'm still in touch with a lot of people from that stage of my life. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine because you read sort of forums and stuff pop up on the internet about living on a cruise ship because it does seem like it's, it's hard. Yeah, but it does seem it, like an attractive thing for for someone who's maybe the right person. Exactly. Yeah, for... you have to have you have to have the right mindset. If you're very particular and you need certain foods and you need your room a certain way. I mean, my room, my rooms were small. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't have windows. It was very difficult and sometimes noisy. But again, at that that stage in my life, having just been in a college dorm where I lived with like five other girls in a very small townhouse off campus, I was sort of, it wasn't sort of uncommon for me. It was an easy transition. I think it's harder for people who are, have their lives already in a rhythm on land to then transition onto cruise ships is, is not as easy, but it's so much fun. And crew life can be very rewarding and a lot of fun. And, you know, like I said, the cruise lines have dedicated team members and employees that their whole job is to, and their teams are to take care of the crew members and like activities and mental health. And I can't speak for what it's like now, but the probably the hardest part about being a crew member at the time when I didn't even realize it was that hard, but I think this is what would be the hardest part right now is the internet and the Wi-Fi and being able to stay connected. I remember back when I was a crew member, I would have to sign up for a time on a computer that was like for everybody. And I would show up at like 10, 15 on Friday and log in and check my email and send a message to my parents to let them know that I was not scrubbing the decks and that I was okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember my parents took us on a Royal Caribbean sailing when we were younger, and even the internet experience for passengers was significantly different. I remember having to go to the internet cafe, and you have to, I think it was you paid per minute, maybe you paid like yes, nine, nine cents brutal. a minute. Yeah. With, the scra with the scratch cards. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my God. Yeah, we had that too as crew members. So it was an amazing experience. And oftentimes I, and so I started as a youth counselor and I very quickly realized that that was not going to be my path (laughs) permanently working on board. And I started to, in, I, I remember interviewing and taking different people out for coffee on, on the ship, on their breaks, to talk to different positions on board so that I could get an understanding of where I thought I would fit. And so I ended up landing on the art auctioneering position. So I, I loved that. That was a really good role for me because I love public speaking. I had my degree in history. And so it was like a really good, and I loved art history. And so it was a good position for me. And yeah. so I like to say that between my skills that I honed as an art auctioneer, Plus just the skills that you grow as a crew member. I feel like that literally prepared me for anything. (laughs) I I am prepared for anything in life after those being in that situation. I want to, I want to ask you about how you continue to career, but I do want to just jump in because we were talking about cruise lines. I'm just curious because you do have this deep connection with that industry now, just because you you, you were physically a part of it. I mean, how was it seeing all the news stories last year? Um, (sighs) All that, especially in the beginning of COVID, how, I mean, how did that affect you? It was, it was hard. It was, it affected me deeply. I would be following the YouTube videos that I would see that I would, I'm in a lot of crew member Facebook groups still to stay connected and just to see, you know, just to hear what's going on. And so I would see videos posted of that crew members were making like montages with some emotional songs and then like dances and the crew member doing crew members doing dances to it. And it was just them on the ships. And I got very emotional many times watching those videos to at one point, my, my husband recognized the background music and he could see my tears and he's like, are you watching that again? And I'm like, oh you don't God. understand. These people are on a ship and they can't get to their families. And I, I, I was very, like, I'm emotional now, even thinking about it. Like I cannot even imagine the anxiety and just confusion of not knowing what to feel. Cause I can imagine at the beginning it was a whirlwind and nobody knew what, nobody had the right information. I can't imagine the information that got filtered down to just the general crew, like they didn't know what was happening and we didn't even know what was happening, never mind somebody who's in, on a cruise ship. And what were they told? And when did they think they could leave the ship? And were they stuck in their cabins with no windows? I'm like, I was, I was, and then how are they getting their supplies? Like, are, is anybody letting them dock? Like, are they getting their food? Like, I, I oof, it was, it was emotional to watch those videos. Yeah, I can. I can imagine. I mean, all those all the consumer stories were when um, part of me thinks it was appropriate, but they were all about the the passengers that were stuck in the ship, Mm -hmm. too. But I I mean, a lot of people had those didn't have the the thought in their head that that includes just as many crew members on board too. People live on the ships. Exactly. People have been on. There's been crew members still on the ships this entire time. There's been some crew members that weren't even allowed to be repatriated back to their countries during COVID. Yeah. Those and stories I, haven't come out. A lot I of know. those stories haven't come out. I really, I mean, it does seem like there is a focus on the crew now though. And I think cruise lines are even, even ready now, more ready now than ever to publicize their, their focus on the crew members. Even before I remember being I on agree. a couple of the new celebrity ships, before COVID and they, they were, they were even, they weren't bragging, but they were showcasing we've improved. Yeah. We've improved accommodations for our crew members. You know, we're going to, we're, we're, yeah. So I loved, um, Lisa Lutoff Peril from celebrity. 
her female initiatives for female crew members. And in fact, in March for the International Women's Day and all the all females, uh, female officers, and I follow a lot of that on LinkedIn. And it's very inspiring to see that because that was not the case when I was a crew member for sure. It was a very, very male dominated space in terms of officers on board. So that feels really good to see that shift. And, and I see that Royal Caribbean is doing that a lot too. They're highlighting female officers. And I, I really, I really like that. And, you know, recently I've been seeing Michael Bailey of Royal Caribbean on his fan page. Are you following his fan page? Because he posts daily images of, of, of a crew member of the different ships getting their vac getting their vaccines and giving updates on the stats. And then he'll post an image of meet, you know, so-and-so who works in the galley and meet so-and-so who's a room attendant and they've been working for Royal Caribbean for 20 years. And my heart just explodes when I hear those stories. Yeah. You know, when we were, I took my family on a Royal Caribbean cruise in 2019 for their spring break, for the kids' spring break. And you know, I teach them, my kids from, you know, as soon as we walk on board, you know, they had to be nice to every single crew member, especially our room attendants, especially our dining room attendants. And because I know that side of the space in the crew and in the cruise industry, it's a yeah. very special, special community being a crew member. Yeah. And it, I, I love hearing these stories because it, it there is such a force of people behind every, every interaction you have in travel. In my last episode, Brian King from Marriott mentioned how he treats staff members when he goes to Marriott's hotels and things like that. And I just, mm. I really love, I love hearing that kind of stuff too, because I think, I think it's all, it's going to be important more now than ever, just to recognize that the names and faces behind like these giant numbers yes. of people employed in the travel industry. I, I agree. I love hearing the stories of the crew. Yeah. Uh, and I still, to this day, have habits, customer service type habits that are ingrained in me from working <laughs> on board. Uh, even just on Royal Caribbean, I remember when I was there during the time that I was there as a crew member, there was a huge initiative to always say a pleasure. Like it was never like when somebody said, thank you, you never said, you're welcome. It was like, my pleasure. It's okay. my pleasure. And so I was just, and even now to this day, I always say that after everything. And I always think about, think about that because it, it's from my Royal Caribbean training. And then even when I would get off the ship, when I was working on board and I'd be in, you know, just taking a vacation for three weeks, whatever, I'd go home to Canada, I'd be in the grocery store and I'd be opening doors for people. And I'd be, and I, and I was like, I'm on vacation. I'm like, I'm not on a ship because it's ingrained in you to be yeah at your service like that's yeah. that's the mindset of a crew member is you're just always at somebody's service and it doesn't matter what the name badge says you know it doesn't matter that my name badge said art auctioneer somebody came up to me and they saw me with a name badge and they had an issue where they needed help you'd stop what you're doing and you figure it out yeah yeah and so how many years did you see you spent you spent time in the youth club and you spent time as the uh, art auctioneer and then i guess i mean what was your transition to get into the trade side of travel? Um, yeah, that's a really good yeah. question. So I was working for Park West and that was the onboard revenue side of the business. And in 2008, as you can appreciate with the recession, um, the onboard, I mean, the cruise industry obviously suffered. A lot of industries did in that year. And people would, if people were able to get onboard cruise ships, it was very difficult. They didn't have a lot of spend while they were on board. So then the onboard revenue side really suffered. And so a lot of different departments, not just the art department took a big hit. And so I was starting and also at that phase in my life in 2008, by then I had just gotten married. 
uh, was like a year in just a year or two after I had gotten married. And so my husband and I were starting to think about, you know, starting a family and I was a real road warrior big time. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to continue that level of lifestyle and start a family. And so all of those factors, like, I don't know how the company will transition out of this recession. Plus I can't continue this road warrior lifestyle. It started, started making me wonder like what's out there for me. And I only knew the onboard side of the business. I didn't know anything else. And then one day in, I'll never forget. And actually it's my friend, it's my friend that I'm visiting in Colorado this summer. So that's a good little transition there. Good little coincidence. He came into my office. I remember because we worked together at the time in the Miami lakes office. Cause that's where a lot of, that's where the majority of the art collections are housed even though the gallery is based in Detroit, they have a huge warehouse in Miami Lakes to be basically be the fulfillment center for the cruise ships. He came into my office, he closed the door, like top secret, like don't tell anybody I'm here. And he had Entrepreneur Magazine. And then he opened it up and he put down a full page ad for cruise planners for a franchise. And he pointed at it and he was like, my wife and I are going to buy this. And I'm like, buy what? He's like, a cruise planning franchise. And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> and he's like, we can sell cruises. Like, that's a thing. And I'm like, really? I'm like, we can sell cruises. I'm like, I know every cruise line. I know every ship. I know every category. I've been to every itinerary. I'm like, we can make money doing that. I'm like, that's a thing. That's how blind I was to that side of the industry. No idea. So I started by purchasing a cruise planner franchise. And I, I remember convincing my husband using our tax return money that year. I was like, I'm buying a franchise. <laughs> I have no idea how this is going to work, but I know that I know cruises and we need to come up with a plan for how I get out of the onboard side and start getting into other segments of the industry, because there's only so many companies in the onboard segment. And I wanted to expand my, you know, portfolio of what I knew of the industry so that's how I started. I And so shortly after I purchased a franchise, I went to the new franchise training class. Okay. And I will tell you that there are moments in your life, in my life, maybe you have them too, Dan, like where you just know that you are exactly where you're meant to be. And it's just, I still to this day can capture that emotion of like sitting in the front row of that training class and listening to the different people that came, the partners, the, the team and the, the employees, and just feeling like I was going to spontaneously combust with happiness. Like I was like, this is the best thing I have ever heard in my life. And I had that same emotion the first day I stepped on board the Celebrity Horizon. And all my fellow tra- uh, youth counselor people were annoyed at me and making fun of me because I couldn't stop walking up to other crew members and say, hi, I'm Vanessa. I'm the new youth staff. Hi, I'm Vanessa. I'm from Canada. I'm the new youth staff. I was just so dang excited <laughs> for like the first 24 hours. I just wanted ever. I wanted to know everybody and I wanted to know everything. And I just knew in that moment that I made the right decision and I was meant to work on board ships. I was so happy to be there. And then I had that same feeling when I was sitting in that franchise class. Like it, it was just this feeling of like, I 
I'm meant to do this. I am meant to be on this side of the industry now. I'm meant to do something related to travel agents and travel agencies and learn about these partners. And it was, it was an exciting week for me. And it, it was the, it was the inspiration and the catalyst I needed to fully leave Park West, which was a big security blanket for me at the time. As you can appreciate, I was working there for a really long time and I, you know, put in my notice and went knee deep into entrepreneurship, then that didn't last too long because then cruise planners had an opening for a training manager and they uh, interviewed me and I, I accepted. And so then I, I took that position and I, I, I really, I, I loved everything about what I did in that position. And I learned so much of that, of not just the travel agent side of the business, but then the running of sort of franchise and then now in my host model it's a similar business model. So I got a huge, I guess, crash course into that side of the industry. So that's how it all happened. And then everything's just kind of developed from there. Um, the one one thing I want to ask, and this is, I've been curious about this from, from hearing people's career stories. And even like when I'm watching Shark Tank, I, I think about this all the time, is is the leap from going from a fairly stable yeah, job with, with, with healthcare and uh, benefits into into an doing something as an entrepreneur i always i mean how how much guts does that take and i mean what, what, yeah what's the feeling like i mean does it feel like does it feel like you're like the rugs pulled out from under you at a certain point does it feel like do you have second thoughts along the way it didn't feel like the rug so it didn't feel like the rug was pulled out from underneath me mm-hmm. but i have because i chose i i leapt into it I didn't experience that emotion, but having worked with travel advisors and coaching them in this kind of capacity now over the last almost decade, I know that that is the case for a lot of people that have actually started travel businesses because they've been in situations where they were forced, you know, because of layoffs or, or, or just changes or just you know, career moments, and then they decided to just go for it. So I wouldn't say that the raw, it's, so you have to be, and this is, I, my, I always have this conversation with my mom. I get this mainly from my dad. So my dad ran he, his, my, his, his main business when I was growing up, he was a pizza store owner. He owned the local pizzeria in our little small town. Okay. And so it was Pedro's Pizza and he owned his own business. And I worked, you know, when I was my son's age at 10, I started working the cashier and serving the slices to the high school students and folding boxes and helping my dad. And so I had a very good entry point into entrepreneurship because I saw my dad doing it, but there's great risk and there's great reward. And there's lots of twists and turns on the road and you have to be okay with that. And my dad taught me to be more risk. I'm more risk friendly. I'm not scared of risk because I saw my dad take a lot of them. My mom, on the other hand, worked for General Motors for 35 years. And, and she is just like, find a company, stay with them for your entire career, right? That's, that's her generation. We know that generation. And so she hated, and she was so supportive. I have a very good relationship with my mom, closest person in my life, talk to her every day, but she hated a lot of my decisions because it wasn't the safe path. So I know I'm kind of going around your answer, but to answer that question directly, it's you have to be okay with risk. You have to be okay with uncertainty. That's that's sort of the vibe of entrepreneurship. You have to embrace the unknown. You have to be okay with that. You have to trust, trust that everything is going to work out. You have to be always 
looking for the silver lining and you just have to be really curious as to how things are going to unfold and just be okay with things that are unexpected. And so the first time I made that decision to, to start the franchise, but then I shortly thereafter got a job offer and then I was back to not entrepreneurship. Right. But then fast forward to, so that lasted until um, I ended up resigning from special needs group. I had just launched their certification program. I was part of the team that launched that program. And I, my son was about to turn one and I was leaving him um, at a very ridiculous time of the morning with a nanny, with a babysitter. And then I was driving very far to go there. And this entire drive, I was feeling the mom guilt and all of those emotions. And he was about to turn one. And I just kept having that same feeling that I was having before when I started this franchise of entrepreneurship. And I guess something, and something definitely shifts when you, when you have children. And I just had this overwhelming feeling of like, I just need to lean into the unknown and trust that the next opportunity or whatever I meant to do is going to just happen. I know that sounds crazy, but I had a very good relationship. I still have a very good relationship with Andy at special needs group. who's very good to me. And I love his company. I love his mission. And I remember sitting in his office right before the holidays of 2011 going into 2012 and just basically telling him that I, I really just wanted to uh, take some time, you know, and to figure yeah. out what I really wanted. This commute was not what I wanted. I, I didn't want that for my son. I, I just wanted a little bit more flexibility. And I wasn't sure what that meant, but I was going to just figure it out. And he was so supportive. He gave me the rest of the year off. And when I started January of 2012, I know what the heck I was going to do, <laughs> but I, but I will shit tell you that I still remember every single day that I woke up in January, I was exploding with happiness. I just knew that even though I didn't know what was next, I was doing what I was supposed to do and that I just had to trust. Yeah, I, I think I think the words I should have used was like the leap of faith, taking that leap Huge of faith thing. as opposed to yeah, having the rug pulled out because it is it is a it's giant leap. leap. Yeah. Huge. Oh Huge. my god. And you know, when I moved to North Carolina because we started GTN, Meredith and Meredith Hill and Jennifer Cochran, who are fellow co-founders of GTN, they lived here. Okay. And so I would fly here from Fort Lauderdale to meet with them. And then eventually we were like, okay, let's do this. So I, my, my husband was so supportive. He's always so supportive. And he was like, all right. And he's an IT guy, so he can find work anywhere. So we made the leap, huge, massive leap <laughs> to start a host agency yeah. in the middle of Mooresville, North Carolina. I mean, <laughs> yeah. for a travel industry person, they're like, where's that Charlotte? Not exactly. And even Charlotte's not exactly the hub of, of the travel industry. So but we did it and we moved up here and I, I share this with you because we we literally moved up here on blind faith and the rental market at the time when we moved up here was super competitive as it has now full circle become again and uh, I found a house and I needed to make sure we could secure it and I'm like Meredith go see the house for me because obviously I couldn't see it I was in Florida so she went she was like yeah it's good it's good it's good put the deposit yeah. so I did and so blindly based on her reassuring me that it was going to be fine. And so, and it was, and the, the road that the house was off of was faith. <laughs> so when we moved up here and we turned on the main road to get to our new little subdivision, I was driving on faith road. I'm like, okay, okay. Universe. I am doing what I'm supposed to do. Thank you for that reassurance. Oh 
man. Yeah, I, I hear stories here in New York, like I'm a part of the New York, Axe New York City Reddit pages and stuff like that. And there's always questions about, hey, I, I'm moving across the country to live in New York City. I, I can't go look at my apartment. And it, everyone always yells at them and the, like, you have, you can't rent sight unseen. Um, it's too big of a risk. But again, like, it's just, it just seems like you're so co incredibly comfortable with risk, which is which something that seems like- so. <laughs> Which is like, I, I, I laugh because my mom would cringe if she heard that. that that's been like the hard spot for her watching me, you know, soar is all the risks that I've taken. But it's always, I mean, hey, sometimes things don't work out. And I think that that's just part of the journey. And you just excrete the bad and extract the good and you move on. I mean, how do you deal when things don't work out though? That's what I wanted to ask. Because you are, you, you are an incredibly positive person, but... I things sometimes don't work out. And I'm curious how you've dealt with when those times when things don't work out. Um, how do you process it? And I mean, do you have outlets? Do you mm -hmm. use relationships? I mean, what's what's your sort of uh, process like? So the key is to process it. Yeah. And what I one of the things that I've learned is, you know, I haven't always processed things that disappointed me and didn't sit well with me. I've learned that when you don't deal with it it will show up physically in it'll it'll manifest in 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 physicalness and i actually had some pretty almost very serious but we i caught it before it developed into what could have been cancer um a couple of years ago and it and it gave me a little bit of a wake-up call and i started having to change some of my habits um my road warrior habits and because but then it wasn't just about processing like why was this physical you know, ailment showing up for me. I'm, like I said before, I think part of why I am positive and move things forward the way that I do is that I'm just like a naturally curious person. So I start asking questions like, well, why is this showing up for me? Like, what is really going on? Like, what is, what is this a reflection of? Like, what am I not dealing with that my body is, you know, giving me this issue? And so I'm a big believer in that. So I think the key to what you just said is how do you process it? And the answer is you process it. You have to process it. You have to actually feel whatever it is you want to feel. And I'm, but the, the key is to not, and I think this is where my mental muscle is more developed than I think in other, other people that I've come into contact with. I don't sit in it. I don't dwell on it. I don't regurgitate it. I don't want to call five different people and talk about it for days on end. I don't want to repeat it. Like I will process it and I will own it and I will like move through the emotion of it. And I will, you know, give myself permission to feel whatever emotion I want to feel around it. And I won't feel guilty about it, but I don't stay in it. Okay. And that's, I tell my kids that when you said that, I hear my son chastising me because I, I always say, focus on the good, focus on the good. Tell me, okay, fine. You want to complain about what just happened at your day at school today? Fine. Give it to me. But if you're going to complain about one thing, you got to, you got to give me five things that were good. You, you got to, you got to, I'm going to force you to now get, count your blessings for at least five different things. And he was, and then of course, you know, he's 10. And so he goes on his things. I'm like, well, the bus driver got to, got you to school safely. Right. Yes, that was good. Okay, let's talk about that. So you just got to focus. It's what you focus on expands. If you're going to focus on the things that are going wrong and the things that disappointed you, then you're just going to keep getting more of that. 
Yeah. And it's not that it's not true and it's not that it didn't happen. I don't want to ignore it. I just, I don't choose to focus on it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I can like when you, when you tell that story, I can almost feel my mother doing the th same thing, but like, I can think about my childhood and I think about her, me being upset and her being like, what, why are you upset? Like that was her, always her answer was just, why are you upset? Like, this isn't a big deal. Of course she had a, a more perspective than I had as a child, obviously, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it is. It's good to remember that stuff too, I think. And focus uh, on the good. My son likes to say to me, well, fine, I'll focus on the medium. I'm like, no, there's no medium. It's the good. And then he does that to joke with me. But yeah, it's focus on the good. So, so process, I, process your emotions. That's really key to moving so, through it. So I don't want to take up your whole hour here, but I have a few more okay. questions. Um, one that I've been meaning to ask every guest, but I haven't, but I do want to ask you because you talk about being risk, being comfortable with risk is that are you, when you, when you travel, are you the type of person to get the airport really early? Or are you a sort of fly by the seat of your pants kind of person? Like, do you, do you, cause I, I've, I've been on business trips with both kind of people and I like to get, I like to be comfortable. Like I like to have some time, but like some other people they are like, Oh, we don't need to leave until an hour before our flight. And I would just, in my head, I just freak out. Um, I just, I was just curious what kind of person you are. I'm actually a bit of a hybrid. Okay. <laughs> I have traits of both. So I drive people crazy with that. I'm traveling because I have no idea what the flight time is or where I need to be until okay. the absolute last minute. Like don't act like I'm flying to Mexico next week. And I had to remind myself, wait, what time, what did I book a morning flight and afternoon flight? I, I should probably get a car service organized. Like I don't think about those things until like the absolute last minute. I do like to give myself time at the airport, but not because I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to make it through the TSA line, which by the way, was the longest I'd ever seen it when I flew to DC for ledge day in Charlotte. Um, so that was, that was very illuminating. So going into going to Mexico now, next week, I have purposely made sure that I'm giving myself enough time, even though I have TSA. So yeah, I'm a little bit of both, but again, not because I think I'm going to be uncomfortable or, or, you know, miss something. I like going to the airport because I like the airport and I want to, I have my little routine at the Charlotte airport. You know, I like to go to Jamba Juice. I like to go to a little sundry shop. I like to buy my trashy magazines. I like to buy my fruit snacks. I like to buy, make sure I fill up on water. <laughs> I, I like to people watch. I like to sit in the rocking chair. You know, I, I like my routine. <laughs> yeah. It's part of the process. Um, yeah, I, 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 I do. I, I think I do a similar thing. Like I make sure I have co it's coffee and water before a flight, even though I will fall asleep the second I get in the airplane this, seat. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I am known for this. I will fall asleep before the plane even takes off. Yeah. I travel with my family and we've flown again. We've flown to Ireland a lot together and, uh, none of my sisters will sleep on a plane, but like I'm out before we take, yeah, before we take off, I'm out yeah. and I'm waking up during the descent into Dublin airport. And I think they're just super jealous. I think that's what the they are yeah. very jealous. People yeah. are very jealous of me. My whole family has always been jealous of my ability to sleep at any <laughs> yeah. <moment> anywhere. <laughs> um, it is a very good thing that we have. That is an excellent <laughs> skill for being a road warrior. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and then the other, there's one, there's a couple other things. And the other thing I want, I think you mentioned it a couple of times in the interview, but I, and I think I know what the answer is, but what's, what's most important to you outside of, outside of your work and your career? 
I mean, I know this sounds cliche, but for this stage of my life, what's most important to me is is my family yep. and my my kids and developing them as culturally curious people, you know, and and making sure that I give my myself time to be with my kids and and to, for them to see me personally as opposed to just always seeing me in work mode, which has been very difficult this year because. I could be work Vanessa outside the house, but because of the pandemic, my kids saw way too much of work, work Vanessa <laughs> this last year being in the house with me all the time. So what's really important to me is, is developing, you know, the, obviously the relationship with my kids and my, my husband and, and being with my family and just being very intentional around making sure my kids are well-rounded and culturally curious and, you know, just having having that i i got very involved in my my kids school with their um which i'm sure it's going to come as no surprise that they have like an international festival and so as soon as i found out about that when my son was in kindergarten when he first started i immediately got involved and you know with the with the spanish teacher she put it together and i wanted to make sure different countries were represented and um i even got one of the cruise lines involved the first year oh nice <laughs> So that I care about that. Like I, I care about just being involved in, in my kid's life. And I, of course, any any working mom would give the same answer, but I, I, it's very important to me that my kids see the world through the lens of international and not just, you know, Mooresville, North Carolina. Um, it's a beautiful last, place to live. <laughs> uh, yeah. My, so my last question, again, I know this is a bit longer than usual, but it, I really enjoyed the conversation, but I did want to ask Thank this because I've heard this going back to the Ask the Ledge Day, Zane and the guests spoke about how, I mean, things, all these consumer headlines, it, it, it appears that things are moving in the right direction for travel. And I, I think they are moving in the right direction coming out of the pandemic, but there's still so much work to be done and so many things that could be improved. And I'm curious if you could change anything about the industry, about the travel trade, or about the industry in general. What would you change? Oof. <laughs> I, yeah, I know it's a heavy, it's a heavy question. I mean, it's something I've, I've thought about. I mean, the 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 commission payment structure for advisors, I think, is just needs to be changed. I mean, Zane mm -hmm. spoke about that. I think Matthew and Jennifer spoke about that too. And I think about they that did. all the time. Um, but I'm curious if you have a take on on that question. I definitely think that it needs to evolve. I think that there's a lot of policies that exist within partners that are from the model of the brick and mortar model and from not, not the host model. And that needs to be changed. Like there's a lot of policies out there that are very un-travel agent. They're not travel agent friendly at all. And they're, again, they, they, they were, they served a purpose 20 years ago, but now this whole business of not paying commission to the advisor because they switched host agencies and it's outside of 30 days like that's ridiculous like you need to pay especially after the advisor just had to book and rebook and book and rebook you know three or four different times and because they decided to switch their affiliation because they were making a business decision for themselves in the long term are you telling me they're not going to get paid their commission like literally that's a thing right now so I feel really agitated by that policy. So I think that needs to be, needs to change, but I just think that that is a reflection of some antiquated policies that exist out there that need to be reimagined for the new model. We're in it we're for the host model and for today's travel advisor. So I think that that needs to change. Um, I think the term 
this has been a big one for me. What needs to change is the term distribution channel when okay. it's used to travel advisor. I don't know why that term triggers me. Every time I hear a partner reference a travel advisor as a distribution channel, it just feels very transactional. Yeah, it feels cold. And, right. And the partner needs the advisor and they're going to move forward. We're going to move forward together from this meaningfully and profitably if we treat it as a living, breathing relationship. It's a living, breathing entity. Like it's, it, there's nuances to it that are not, not so formulaic. And so when you use terms like distribution channel, it just feels, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like what it is. Does so, that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I always love the word partners. I think partners is yeah. a good term. Yeah. I think that's partners. how, that's what, that's what advisors are to a lot of these suppliers too. They're, they're partners. They're almost, a, they're as, as they're as close to being a part of the company as they can get without actually being on mm -hmm. payroll. Yeah. yeah. They're partners and it's a relationship and just like any relationship it's like a, even think about romantic relationships you know you have to put time into it and you've got to do things for your partner without expecting something in return sometimes you know think about the little gestures that you do in your own friendships and in your own romantic relationships and then apply that to your professional relationships too like I, I tell our travel advisors all the time, like call a partner, send them an email to just say, thank you. Or how are you? <laughs> you know, yeah. How can I help you? It shouldn't, you shouldn't just reach out because you need something or because you have to escalate something or something went sideways and now you need help. Like that's like the friend that only calls when they need something, you know, yeah. nobody likes that friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh. You know, so it's a relationship and it's not a transaction. Travel advisors are not, we've evolved from order takers anymore. We've evolved from that. You know, we're not sitting in a, for the most part, a brick and mortar with brochures on a wall where somebody's going to walk in and take it off the rack and point to it and say, book me this trip. Like that's just not the way it's done anymore. And yet a lot of policies and a lot of training programs and just a lot of things generally are still structured around that model. So that needs to change. Um, so I wanna, I'm gonna wrap up here just cause we're running out of time, even though I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff we could speak about too. Um, but I wanna say thanks because it was, I really did enjoy the conversation, like hearing about your past on the cruise ship <laughs> and hearing about your leaps of faith was, it was illuminating leaps and of faith. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I take, I hope I'm trying to do my best to take stuff from all these people. I, it seems like I'm stealing, but like it takes stuff from everyone. I'm, no, I'm, that's yeah. So, and I, I, I really appreciate you giving me, uh, giving me your time today. Oh, I really enjoyed this conversation too. And I often you need a moment to sort of, you've given me pause to really, you know, think about my journey too. And I don't often do that. So I appreciate the opportunity to just have a little bit of self-reflection myself and, you know, talking to you about different stages of my career is also reminding me to just trust and to keep trusting and to keep taking leaps of faith because you can often get bogged down right in the day to day and forget that and definitely that I've been I was in that mode a lot this year because we were in crisis management mode for uh, for most of the year and so at some point you have to switch out of that mode and get back into a more forward moving mode and and it is a distinct shift so this conversation has definitely reminded me to take more leaps of faith and um, and I love sharing my my entry story into the into the cruise industry. I do. I like to say that I know the cruise industry from the inside out 
because I worked on board and then I know it from this side and I I've seen, I really, I've seen it all with, with cruise ships. And I even, um, I was in charge of like lifeboat number 10 for a while on one of the ships. And I was like a, a messenger on the bridge, you know, during lifeboat drill. And so I've done so many different things in the cruise industry and, and I really love the industry. I love the cruise industry. It really is my heart. There's a lot of soul to the industry. I feel very passionate about, about cruising and, and I'm very honored to be able to share that with you. So thank you. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, it was great to see you in DC last month. Yes. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure I'll see you in person very soon too. Very soon. Yes, there's <laughs> lots of events are going to come up fast and furious for sure. Yeah. And yes, I look forward to another ASTA event. Um, hopefully I'll see you in Chicago in in, uh, in August. Yeah, Chicago in August sounds great to me too. So uh, yes, yeah. I agree. Have a, so much, yeah, have a great day, Vanessa. I really appreciate your time. All right, bye-bye.